You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. Rick Ridgway is a mountaineer and adventurer who, during his career, has also been an environmentalist, writer, filmmaker, and businessman. Ridgway has climbed new routes and explored little-known regions on six continents. He was part of the 1978 team that were the first Americans to summit K2, the world's second-largest mountain. Since 2005, he's overseen environmental affairs at the outdoor clothing company Patagonia, which has long been a supporter of groups like the Rewilding Institute. He's authored six books and dozens of magazine articles and produced or directed many documentary films. During his explorations, Ridgway witnessed the degradations of the wildlands that had come to define his life. He saw firsthand remote grasslands in Patagonia turn to tourist cities and the glaciers on Kilimanjaro disappear. He also witnessed the wildlife that inhabited those wildlands decline and in the mid-90s began a series of journeys that allowed him to communicate through books and films what was happening to these formerly wild regions. Today I talk with Rick about conservation initiatives and activism in which Patagonia is leading or taking part, what it means to be an activist company, and how listeners can continue to help make sure companies are in business for the right reasons. Patagonia has been a leader among companies in environmental protection and conservation for many, many years. With such a strong environmental mission, how are you fulfilling that mission in a time when many elected officials are downright hostile to environmental laws and public lands conservation? Well, I've been uh, involved uh, with Patagonia since it started in the early 70s. Uh, Going back then uh, as a friend of uh, the founder, Yvonne Chouinard, uh, one of his main climbing partners. And and so I was a a groupie hanging out here. Uh, And then uh, shortly, uh, by the end of the 70s, I was doing contract work for the company. And then uh, by uh, 2000 and uh, 2002, I was. on the board of directors. And, and from there, I uh, moved into uh, uh, a position as an employee uh, in 2004 uh, when they made an offer to me to uh, take over management of all the environmental initiatives of the company. And, and my wife uh, leaned on me uh, at a time when I had just passed my 50th birthday to maybe consider this thing uh, called a regular full-time job. (laughs) So um, I uh, started with the company uh, about 14 years ago as an employee. Uh, Again, uh, with that background of having been close to the company since its founding in 1973. So I am giving this as a preamble so that your listeners can appreciate uh, what I'm about to tell uh, all of them, that in my uh, history with the company, which probably most of your listeners know is a company that has been, as you just said, uh, committed to environmental protection. And I might say in, in business to be a, a tool and an agent for, uh, as our mission says, uh, creating solutions to the environmental crisis. We completely consider it a crisis that in that 45 plus year history, I personally have never seen the company uh, as committed to that mission as it is now, or is committed to using its brand, uh, not just as an agent or tool for environmental protection, but as a, an, a, an agent of activism itself, that the company is increasingly committed to being an activist, being a corporate activist, to corporately kicking ass in a time when 
more than ever, we really, really need it. So working for a company like this is you come to work every morning, you walk through the door and you just pause and you go, God, another day to be here is another day of privilege. Absolutely. And there's very, very few places you can walk in the door and feel like that uh, in terms of, you know, the strong conservation ethic. I mean, how many other places would you even have to go where you get even remotely close to that, that feeling of pride that you have, I'm sure, when you, uh, when you go to work and you know what you're there to do? Well, I hope it's more. Right now, it does seem like we're out on that, um, uh, you know, the tip of the spear by ourselves. Uh, from a corporate perspective, we uh, don't know of any other companies that have that kind of commitment uh, that we do, but but we hope we don't remain alone for, for very much longer. Uh, again, in these times, uh, it seems more and more important uh, than ever for more and more companies to, to step up and, and, and follow our lead, whether they do or not. Uh, you know, we're, con- we're committed to it. We're committed to activism. And, you know, I would say that our when you look around the world, um, you know, our current campaigns, for example, in Europe to um, oppose the construction of, a, of, a, a, of nearly 3,000 dams on the last free-flowing rivers in the Balkan region of Europe. Uh, when you look at uh, Asia and our commitments to uh, scale protected areas in Australasia, specifically in Australia and even more specifically in Tasmania, where we're we're joining uh, NGOs and we're out on the front lines our, ourselves there f- fighting for the scaling of uh, new protected areas uh, of forests that are being clear cut. Uh, when you look at uh, what we're doing here in the United States with our um, uh, lawsuit against the Trump's administration's uh, attempt to uh, scale back Bears Ears and, and, and Escalante and, and perhaps others of our uh, national monuments and our national parks, you know, when you look at it globally, that is frontline activism. Uh, you know, that's what we're doing. And again, we're probably the only company out there uh, to this degree uh, doing it. I'm certain we're the only company that has in its employee manual um, a protection for our employees that uh, the company will post their bail uh, if they personally get arrested while out there on the front lines themselves. You know, we are activists. That is uh, what many, I think, would consider um, business suicide, uh, to do the kinds of things like that and and many other things that I've read about Patagonia over the years being involved with and the hard line that you guys really take. Uh, Everybody else is so conservative by comparison. You really are the tip of the spear. But, But I think that you probably have had conversations quite a few times how about how you would like to not be so much the tip of the spear. Uh, what are these, what's the role of the rest of the outdoor industry in protecting national, natural places? What kind of role would you like to see other companies step up into? Well, they, they are increasingly stepping up. Uh, and, you know, we're applying pressure, uh, no doubt. Uh, I think a good example of that would be the pressure we applied to the industry a couple of years ago uh, when uh, the conversation first um, uh, was announced by the administration, or the intentions were first announced by the administration to scale back Bears Ears, which of course is in Utah. And so we um, applied pressure to our uh, trade association whose annual uh, trade show event, uh, or actually biannual event was in Salt Lake City uh, to uh, tell the uh, the state government of Utah 
that if you don't withdraw your support for uh, reducing the size of the Bears Ears National Monument, we as an industry will pull our support from your state. And that's going to hurt. That's going to cost you millions and millions of dollars. And uh, so uh, the industry aligned behind us. We did that. Uh, it wasn't uh, just a, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't just a threat without uh, intentions behind it. And when they failed to um, change their position, uh, we followed through and we pulled the plug and pulled the trade show and all the tens of millions of dollars it brought to the state of Utah and we moved to Colorado. That's a done deal. So the industry is, um, is itself getting increasingly activist. That was absolutely an activist, uh, uh, you know, uh, follow through. So we, we're really, we're really proud of our, um, our role in, in, in that, even though it didn't seem to turn around uh, the uh, politicians in, in Utah, but uh, we certainly hope it created some political pressure on them, and no doubt it is. Uh, roughly, how many uh, companies would you say um, that would that action there have represented? Just so people can get an idea uh, of the scope. Well, it's it's hundreds and thousands. Uh, when you go, I don't know the exact number, but when you go into that trade show, uh, it uh, takes up football fields of booths of uh, of products uh, and services uh, like uh, services that. Uh, through um, uh, ecotourism and, and all these things that were so directly benefiting uh, the state of Utah. I mean, not just the trade show itself, but that's the home of many, many industries uh, in uh, many companies in the outdoor industry. Uh, you know, it's the home of such a robust uh, ecotourism uh, business. And then just look at what the outdoor industry um, provides nationwide, where our um, trade organization estimates that the uh, annual contribution to the company to the country's GMP from the businesses in that trade show is about seven hundred and eighty billion dollars a year, and that's not quite twice uh, the uh, contribution to the country's economy from the entire fossil fuel industry. So, to us, the economic message is uh, is self-evident. Uh, but, you know, self-evidence uh, in a world of alternative facts certainly isn't enough to, to sway the opinion of so many of the people, especially the ones running our government right now. Well, they're, they're certainly willing to go to the mat, uh, you can tell. And, I mean, without everybody pulling their weight, uh, it, you know, they're willing to go an awful long way and sacrifice a lot of money and a lot of other things um, to do what they're doing. Um, including legal action. Um, they're not having a very good day in court as well with um, groups like Center for Biological Diversity and others who are just running up a tally of how many uh, lawsuits they've had since this administration has come in. Is there anything that you can tell us about uh, the legal action um, that you're a part of with Bears Ears and how it stands? Yeah, the lawsuit is specific to the Bears Ears uh, proposed reductions, and uh, the the ball is now in the administration's court. Uh, to so we're waiting to see uh, what they actually uh, do in terms of actions uh, with their threat to reduce uh, the size of uh, that monument. And depending on what their actions are, uh, then we'll that will uh, likely uh, you know trigger the next step uh, that we make on the on the lawsuit. 
but we're, you know, our legal team here is uh, standing by and, and, and ready. Um, so we're ready to continue to go after them uh, with everything we've got. All, all guns blazing, to use a metaphor that they would probably choose themselves. Certainly, you've received a letter or two from people who have said, I don't want to buy Patagonia clothing anymore or something like that because of a, a political, as soon as a business takes a stand, which is what all businesses seem to be afraid of to some extent, uh, it, it risks losing uh, a portion of their clientele, of their customers. Is there anything that you can yeah. report that it's been so damaging to Patagonia that's ever given you guys any pause as to how far you well, want to go? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, first, when we do receive uh, messages, and we do uh, with some frequency from customers who, you know, are uncomfortable with our political and activist positions, um, you know, we uh, politely tell them that there's a lot of other companies out there making stuff. It may not be quite as good and durable as ours, but they got a lot of choices uh, uh, of what they get. Uh, and, you know, we welcome them to, uh, to go do that. But uh, I'll also preface the, uh, the, the answer to your question, Jack, by saying that, you know, when we look back over this 45-year uh, history of this company, which in a lot of ways has been a 45-year experiment, uh, you know, we've never made a commitment to environmental protection, uh, a commitment to reducing our species impact on a one and only planet. Uh, and I might add to a commitment to increase the social justice of our human societies. We, we've never made a commitment and an action or initiative uh, uh, with uh, to, uh, around one of those uh, things that it hasn't resulted in, uh, in making our business even more robust. Now, when we tell that to other businesses, uh, they often will uh, respond that uh, that works for Patagonia because, you know, you, uh, your customer base is at the, the very top of, um, of uh, the customer pyramid, that the segment uh, for whom uh, you build products are, are an elite and that they're a very small uh, amount of people. And we reply that, uh, that there may have been validity in that uh, in the past, but, but not so now, and not so especially looking forward, where that pyramid of customers, in our view, is actually right now uh, tipping. And that tip is turning that pyramid upside down so that that so-called elite uh, is actually a much broader and even heading towards uh, the base of, uh, of people buying consumer goods who are increasingly concerned about the fate of the planet and, uh, and, and people. So the degree to which um, a company can align around a purpose larger than just delivering wealth to its shareholders, but delivering um, support to um, uh, stakeholders to communities to society to the planet that those companies making those commitments are discovering that they're doing better and better and they're starting to outperform their competitors who aren't making those commitments so that commitments to environmental protection and uh, more broadly to sustainability in general uh, are providing increasing business value to the companies making those commitments. And, and it's a business value uh, that is uh, in several different categories of, uh, any, of any business. Uh, I think uh, perhaps uh, most simply and perhaps most directly and, and therefore most easy to understand is 
the benefits that um, a company committed to sustainability enjoys from actually reducing costs. I mean, if you manage through your entire supply chain and your entire value chain, the, uh, the energy intensity of your business, the, the amount of, uh, of fuel, of, of, of um, energy that you're using, you're going to reduce costs as you also reduce your environmental impact. And at the same time, you're going to enjoy the, the, the public relations uh, and stakeholder relation benefits from that. And you're also going to manage the, um, uh, what otherwise could be landmines in your supply chain. You know, if you've got suppliers out there using uh, slave labor, if you've got suppliers out there that are emitting toxic discharges into rivers that are creating health problems for uh, people in other regions of the world, you know, you've got huge risks and you can manage those. And, and that is direct business value. There's all kinds of other values that you get. Uh, one of the biggest ones uh, for anybody um, making a commitment to a higher purpose is that the young people coming into the workplace today, they'll only want to work for those companies. So employee recruitment is an enormous business value. And for uh, companies like us at Patagonia, it's not just recruitment, but it's retention. There's uh, a lot of people here like me that have gray hair that, uh, you know, joined this company when they were kids and they're lifers. And the cost of replacing uh, really experienced uh, employees with deep knowledge about your business and how to run that business, when you lose those people, it costs sometimes a hundred to $200,000 in dollar denominated expense to replace them. And you don't have to do that when your company has a higher purpose. When, as we said at the beginning of our interview here, Jack, you walk in the door and you feel that you've walked into another day of privilege to work at a company like Patagonia. You know, that we, we've got people that uh, stay here through their whole lives. We, you know, just look at our child development center. We've got childcare integrated all through the campus here. So when you also come to work, you come to work with your kids and it's a one big family. And when you have a company managed like this, that's managed for higher purpose, um, it creates the enormous business value. So the, the more committed we get, the more activists we get, the better we do as a business. So to us, we look out there and we go, why doesn't everybody do this? It, it works so well. And yeah. I don't, it, and they're, they're, I just ask a question for which I don't really have an answer. Like, how come more people don't do this? And these days, because I think a lot because of Patagonia, in companies like Patagonia, people see their activism in also the way that they trade, the way that they uh, uh, do business and the and where they get their products. And I think you guys had a lot to do with that. Uh, you know, looking back, most companies, the leaders of big companies especially, would have um, answered your compliment by saying, well, that works for Patagonia because there's not many people like that that are voting with their wallet for um Mm. products made by companies that have these higher purpose. But as I said before, that's starting to turn upside down. And some of the big publicly traded companies, uh, the ones in the lead are recognizing that. Um, and, you know, that's an important factor in sustainability commitments for companies like Walmart, for example, who are uh, even there seeing the people going into their stores beginning to pay attention to these things. Uh, it is certainly um, uh, uh, in the uh, in the C-suite and in the boardroom of big multinationals like Unilever, even though uh, they're not a retailer like Walmart, they're uh, the second biggest consumer goods company in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are, of all the multinationals, most committed to uh, purpose, to sustainability outcomes. And 
they, uh, as some of your listeners probably know, you know, make a, a whole variety of products from, you know, Hellman's, mayonnaise, uh, all the way through uh, those of you who might be in the Dollar Shave Club. Uh, that's where your razor blades are coming from. But the the this company and their the companies, the brands in their portfolio, which are dozens and dozens, the ones that have made the deepest commitments to sustainability and to reducing their environmental impact, those brands are outperforming the other ones very significantly. They are making the parent company more money than the companies that aren't making these commitments. So that umbrella organization Unilever is starting to uh, increasingly shift all of their brands into these commitments because they're making more money. So they're in, again, is another uh, example supporting uh, you know my position that the business value of these kinds of commitments is starting to scale quickly and that the leaders, not just of um, leading edge companies like Unilever and their CEO, uh, whose name is Paul Pullman, you know, Paul is influencing a lot of other CEOs. They're, they're starting to get it. They're starting to understand it. And another thing that's happening right now is that the the man the equity fund managers, the guys who uh, manage uh, big global uh, stock funds, uh, and that inc- and that includes uh, sovereign wealth wealth funds uh, that own so much of the world's uh, stocks. That the managers of those funds are starting to recognize that the companies making these sustainability environmental protection commitments are starting to outperform the other companies. So now they're using uh, environmental uh, impact reduction and sustainability commitments as screens for deciding the stocks that they buy for to go into their funds. So what's happening now is that companies making commitments to environmental protection are starting to actually see that commitment reflected in their stock value. And then uh, only two months ago in Europe, there was an enormously important development when uh, the company called Danone, which has uh, some products here in the United States, mostly in Europe, but, you know, they're a big yogurt brand here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, their global headquarters in France um, a couple years ago Uh, made the commitment to become uh, the largestly publicly traded B corporation, B for benefit, B for shared value, B for higher purpose. The biggest company uh, making those commitments, publicly traded company in the world. And about, uh, well, maybe it's been three months now, a consortium of 12 banks in Europe gave them a favorable bank loan rate against their competitors on a on a multi on a on a huge uh, multi million dollar line of credit only because they were b corp now that means bankers are starting to pay attention to this so when you have equity fund managers you have bankers starting to use sustainability as a measurement uh, for loan rates for stock value this this is pretty good news here because this means that these kinds of commitments are probably going to tip really quickly. And the 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 business value that you talked about earlier that started this conversation about uh, uh, all of us consumers, uh, you know, aligning our um, uh, purchase decisions uh, to these larger uh, values, you know, that's an important one. But as I look out on the landscape of business values from these commitments, I am seeing that, that these other ones that I've been talking about are actually bigger drivers than even uh, we consumers are at the moment. Now, that might change, but um, it's all good news because in aggregate, 
uh, we're all these things are, are showing the business leaders uh, in the world today uh, that getting on board, um, uh, running a business for these higher values is uh, is working as a business. I'm not sure what to do in the face of this amount of good news and uh, hope in the current climate. We don't we're not used to hearing things like this, Rick. Well, let me poke a needle in the balloon. Okay, because, bring us uh, back down. <laughs> I, just, I, I, did, I just gave you all this good news. But when we all look at what's happening globally, Jack, uh, and we all know about this, everybody listening to your podcast here is really well aware of this. Uh, we're, we're seeing this shift going on towards sustainability and starting to scale, it's starting to tip. But at the same time, <clears throat> what's the global context for this uh, right now? Um, and is it making enough change uh, fast enough? Is there uh, fast enough change happening deep and widely and fast enough to reverse the metrics of the health of our planet? And we all know what the answer is right now. Uh, and I must say that here at Patagonia, I think ultimately when we sit down with uh, people uh, leading our company and we look at our own commitments, sometimes we pause and go, you know, let's remember, guys, what the real KPIs in business speak, that means key performance indicators. What are the real KPIs for Patagonia? What should they be? And we've answered that the real ones are um, whether uh, the, uh, the temperature of the planet is starting to stabilize and even decrease, whether the greenhouse gas emissions are leveling off and decreasing, whether ocean acidification is starting to reverse, whether global deforestation is starting to uh, zero out, whether global desertification is starting to reverse, whether global freshwater eutrophication is starting to reverse, whether the incredible accelerated extinction of biodiversity on planet Earth is starting to level off and reverse. And we all know what the answers are to every single one of those questions. And what that means is that all of the above is not nearly all enough. We have to keep the foot down on the pedal. We have to commit uh, Patagonia's activism uh, more every year than we did the year before. We have to continue to influence more and more companies. Uh, it all has to be more and it all has to be faster. I think it was perfect the way that you laid this out because uh, had you said the second part without the first part, I think a lot of our listeners would be in the mood to say, well, then why even bother? Why should I write another letter? Why should I, companies aren't listening to me. And you just said that they are, they are listening and that that pressure is very, very valuable. And you gave great examples as to why people should continue, keep pushing that pedal down because it's working. It's working. It's starting to go in the right direction. And let me leave you with a, another thought here. And because this is, uh, I think, uh, something that could be potentially valuable to all your listeners, valuable as all of us, valuable to all of us as individuals, as it is potentially valuable to uh, all businesses. Um, and, 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 and let me um, frame my comment here in the context of uh, climate change. Um, because as probably everybody listening knows, you know, we have to stop and remind ourselves that, you know, climate change really isn't the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. You know, uh, the, the cause of the problem, the, 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 the cause of climate change as a symptom is the uh, annual increased human footprint on planet Earth from 
human activity. Uh, one outcome from that year-over-year -year increase, not only of the number of human beings, but of their of uh, of their actions, of of you know the annual increase, year-over-year uh, -year compounded increase of uh, their human consumption and human activity. That's what's causing climate change. And if you look at it globally like that. At Patagonia, we're starting to understand that the solutions to climate change, and therefore by proxy to uh, the larger solution to our human footprint on the planet, it resides in, in three big areas. And, and those are the areas where all of us as individuals or all of us as uh, companies can actually do something. And the first category where all of us can continue to do more work is continue our commitment to uh, replacing fossil fuels with renewables, to reducing uh, the global carbon intensity of our activities by, by reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And we all know about that one. The second one, not many people know about it all yet, but that is the promise that changing the way we grow our food uh, including agriculture and grazing on planet Earth can also be an enormously important contribution to climate change. That by changing to what are called regenerative uh, farming and grazing practices that increase soil health, that as that health of the soils increase with these practices, so does the organic matter in the soil. And organic matter is made of carbon. So using these practices actually pulls carbon out of the air and puts it back in the ground. It sequesters it, and it can. And, and these protocols have the potential of sequestering a huge amount of carbon, so much that it could equal or exceed the reductions you get from the conversion, even if a hundred percent to renewable energy. Those are the first two pillars. The last one is what we started our conversation on today. The last one is the degree to which we can scale protected area conservation of forests and grasslands as carbon sinks. And we all got to increasingly understand the importance that that has as a partial solution to climate change. Because if we can scale protected areas to that vision of half Earth, then that too will be an enormously important contribution to climate change. If we can focus on all three of those pillars, we can avoid going over the cliff. And another reason I'm so proud to be part of this company is that we're the only company I've seen out there that is committed deeply and widely to all three of those categories in the way it does its business. And there, I hope, again, that we're a model for others to follow. Rick, once again, thank you so much for taking the time today to be on the podcast. Uh, I, I love the hope. I love the message of continuing on. Um, uh, I, I think the troops are fired up. So thank you again for taking the time to be here. And I look forward to more conversations with you uh, in the future about all of these issues and Patagonia's role in them. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Jack, for the uh, audience. And as I said before, I'll reprise the word I used at the beginning. Thank you for the privilege to uh, talk to everyone today. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Be sure to visit rewilding.org to subscribe so you don't miss past and future episodes. And while you're there, please consider supporting Rewilding by making a donation or subscribing to the Rewilding Earth newsletter.